Welcome to a brand new edition of Problematic Women. I'm Lauren Evans. And I'm Virginia Allen. All right, so every grocery store that I've been walking into these days smells like cinnamon. I am not complaining. This is a good thing. They have those cinnamon brooms up at the front of the store. It smells marvelous. So they do smell good, but, you know, I'm just partial to my Aldi. (laughs) What does Aldi have? They have candles. Okay. They have, I mean, they have everything. Like, when I go to Aldi, I just never know what I'm going to walk out with. Some days I buy shoes. Some days I buy clothes. Some days I buy (laughs) office equipment. Uh, I I have a laptop charger. Just literally anything that you could ever need, you can find at Aldi. It's almost like a, like a mini discounted Walmart, but kind of better and no, it's nothing like Walmart. Ones. It's well, not literally. But as it's far like, as they sell like food and like the random clothing items. Well, it's, it's and, called the Isle of Shame. Oh, okay. It's called the Isle of Shame. <laughs> and because you just never know what you're going to, you're going to spend like $30 on groceries, right? You just want to get a couple things. You're going to get some chicken, some vegetables. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And then all of a sudden you're looking at like a winter coat or like art for your house and you're like well i'm here and this is really cute and it's only 14 dollars and you spend <laughs> 10 not? minutes on that aisle and it's now you're 100 dollars. no in. i i found some pretty pretty awesome things in that aisle that i know would be at least twice if not like three times as much yes. somewhere else so, so you can keep your cinnamon brooms okay i will take my aisle of shame well and also joining us is gloria taylor she is a media manager here at the heritage foundation Gloria, thanks for coming back. I know you also have a little story about candles that you were super excited to share. Oh, yes. As soon as I found out, we were discussing fall and pumpkin spice and all the candle all things. things. nice. Oh, my gosh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. This weekend, I was road tripping back um, to D.C. for North Carolina uh, with two of my guy friends who had just taken to a NASCAR race. And all weekend, they were so insistent about stopping at this candle store. <laughs> Y'all, I just took you to a NASCAR race. Like, like, <laughs> why do you want to go to a candle store? It's an hour out of the way. And, you know, I, just, I let it go. I'm like, I'm going with the flow. And we show up and it is the Woodwick Candle, like, factory outlet. So it's those candles that make the crackle sound. Mm-hmm. And I literally, I was wrong. I was proven wrong. I had never proven wrong. But I will admit <laughs> that at this moment, I was proven wrong by my two guy friends. I literally bought, I think, maybe 12 candles for $30. And these are <laughs> That's candles. That's amazing. Because it's like the imperfect ones, yeah, you yeah. know? Like, $4 for a $30 candle. I am here for that, y'all. <laughs> that is like the Aldi of yes. candles. But you yeah. get those fancy, I mean, there is something very satisfying when it like crackles. You're like, mm. wow, am I next to a fire? No, I just have no. a candle burning. <laughs> yes, I like, close my eyes and yeah. pretend. I close my eyes and in Shenandoah. There's stars, <laughs> pumpkin spice, s'mores, everything's great. Life is wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. All right. Well, I need to add that to my list. Road trip to buy candles. It's very important. It needs to happen. <laughs> All right, Lauren, tell us what we have queued up on today's show. Up on today's Problematic Women, Gloria helps us celebrate Breast Cancer Awareness Month and shares a little bit about the highs and lows of her own cancer battle. We also dive deep into an alleged sexual assault cover-up in the Loudoun County School District just outside Washington, D.C., Plus, California has passed a bill requiring large stores to have a gender-neutral toy section for kids. And as always, we'll be crowning our Problematic Woman of the Week. Each week on Problematic Women, we sort through the news to find stories that are of particular interest to conservative-leaning or problematic women, those whose views and opinions are often excluded by those on the so-called feminist left. If you are a problematic woman or just someone who supports strong, independent women, Please consider supporting us by leaving a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It really does make a difference. All right. 
Let's get to it. October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Gloria, you joined the show a little bit ago to share your own personal story of being diagnosed with breast cancer last year. So let's dive in and have you share, again, a a little bit of that story and talk a little bit about what that was like finding out that you had breast cancer. All right. Yeah. So I was diagnosed with breast cancer last December uh, at 26 years old, which is not normal. Uh, Something like less than 5% of breast cancer patients are under the age of 30 or 40. So super small. Um, Found it myself, which is, you know, what happens mostly for girls my age. So highly recommend y'all feel them on the first of the month. Know what your body feels like advocate for yourself because that's what I had to end up doing. You know, people were telling me I I couldn't get in for mammograms, couldn't get in for screenings for months and months and months. And because the Lord has made me to be who I am, I that was not going to work for me. You know, DC woman, let's go get it done. I'm like, I don't have time for this. And so we found it. And those first three months of having to make radical decisions about things that are happening to your body and waiting on information. If I have to have chemo, if I don't have to have chemo, um, I wouldn't wish that on anyone in the entire world, but it was also a be- it's been a beautiful last year um, of being supported by friends and family. It's been a beautiful year of I've been reading through the Bible this year and um, in like breast cancer awareness month, October, um, October 1st was the first day of the New Testament for me. And that was the day that Jesus showed up. And there's just been so many moments like that of pure, just I call them like God winks that he's got me and he has me still here for a purpose and for a reason. And there are people that I've gotten to help shepherd through the process and encourage and love that, you know, I didn't have that when I was first diagnosed. So that I think I I look back on those moments and think this was for a purpose and it has brought me joy and it's changed me forever in a positive yet painful way. Hmm. Well, Gloria, you, your ability to put a, happy face on this and, and your the way that you fight. I'm so happy that this weekend NASCAR honored you. Can you tell us a little bit about that event? Okay. Yes. So I was super excited due to the generosity of uh, family friends that are um, involved with the Charlotte Motor Speedway. I got to go out to the Blue Cross Blue Shield drive for the cure. So it's a breast cancer race that they do um, in October before one of the bigger races the night afterwards. And ahead of the race, got to go paint the wall pit row where, you know, all the cars stop and, you know, do all their refueling, tire change situation, chaos. Got to paint that pink. And that was my first time in breast cancer community since I did the whole thing alone during COVID. Mm -hmm. And it was the most precious thing. And I I realized what it is like to be able to talk to people who have gone through what you've been through, even though it may be a little different, that they understand. Um, And so any way in which, like, I have now been able to talk to girls that are going through this, that are afraid they're about to go through it. I want to be able to do that. And so that was super huge. But um, we went back for the race this past weekend. And my one goal while I had to wear this corsage all weekend, it was <laughs> it was almost like it was so ridiculous in a like cute way of the level of like celebratory, like we want to celebrate our breast cancer patients or survivors. Some currently I'm still going through treatment. Mm-hmm. Um so I had this corsage on, this pink shirt, um, like pink, I had just all this stuff on. So it was very clear. 
I was one of the people that was being honored. They put me on stage, appeared with the NASCAR driver. <laughs> it was just so absolutely chaotic. But my one goal and one mission was to meet Brandon. Yes. Can you can you remind our audience in case they didn't listen or yes. they're not familiar? Why is Brandon famous? Who is Brandon? Who is Brandon? This mysterious Brandon. Yes. Um, if you have not heard the phrase Let's go, Brandon. Let's go, Brandon. I would encourage you to Google it. Um, there was a NASCAR driver whose name is Brandon who won a race in Talladega last weekend. And while he was being interviewed by a reporter, there were some folks in the crowd chanting a lewd chant about our president that you yes. may be familiar with. And the reporter said, how does it feel to have just won this race? And, you know, the crowd is out here chanting your name. Let's go, Brandon. Um, <laughs> and the report, we don't know if the reporter was trying to, you know, cover up the chant that was actually going on or just misheard it. Either way, it has now become a national phenomenon. <laughs> it's appearing everywhere. Like, lip, my mom bought a Let's Go, Brandon shirt. That's yes. hilarious. So, you know, <laughs> we're very into it. And so I, I had to find Brandon. And after looking everywhere, asking <laughs> Everyone I could find pulling every connection, I found Brandon, <laughs> and I got a picture with him, and I told him that I supported him, and I got I got like the smile, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't I don't know if he's trying to be political because he hasn't engaged on it, but like we had a moment. Yeah. You were just like, yeah, yeah. let let's go, Brandon. Let's, I was like, let's go, Brandon. He's also very cute. Oh, so that you know does not hurt either. Can't, can't confirm. I did see your photo that you yeah, posted. Can't confirm. Can't confirm. Y'all look great together. There've been some positive experiences <laughs> through all of this. That was definitely one of them. Uh, I love it. Well, I think it's just so cool, Gloria, how you have kept that perspective of okay. Let me look for for where the positives are, mm -hmm. and pause, and be grateful and thankful. And I know so many people have come alongside you to support you in this journey. So for anyone who's listening, who has a family member or a friend who uh, has cancer, whether it's breast cancer or another form of cancer, and is trying to figure out how do I support them, what is your advice for people? What was really helpful for you? And then also, what are the things that you don't want to do? What What was just annoying and like, oh my goodness, please, please mm -hmm. stop. Oh, that's such a good question. And I think... Anytime you go through a traumatic event in your life, you learn how to love people that are grieving well. And this is a hard thing. You know, a lot of times I want to just speak and say truth into it. That's the kind of person I am. But most of the time when I was hurting, I, I didn't want someone to tell me it's going to be okay, that, you know, the Lord is going to use this to sanctify you. I, I didn't want to hear it. I knew it was true, but that's just not what my heart wanted. Mm -hmm. um, the thing that surprised me the most and what annoyed me the most was even the most well-intentioned friends, coworkers, family say, just let me know what you can, let me know what I can do for you. And I'm like, I'm over here having to make within the span of a couple of weeks, all these crazy decisions about what to do with my body. I have no idea what's going on. I'm so overwhelmed. I can barely think. I'm still trying to sort of do work while the world is falling apart. Um, I can't come up with a list of things to do for me. <laughs> like, like, no, just, and I just, I loved the friends that just showed up. They said, hey, can I bring you this? Hey, can I do this? You know, mm. that to me was the most helpful thing. And someone that would just sit there and let me talk, you know, I th even though they can't understand, just sit there, be present, show up, um, love well, and don't feel the need to, I guess, fix the problem because you, you can't fix it. So just mm. show up. It's good yeah. advice. Great advice. This is a staggering quote that almost 13 in every 100 American women will develop breast cancer sometime in their life. And it's it's just heartbreaking every every case that you see. Um, 
but in the news recently was that Casey DeSantis, my home state governor's wife, Ron DeSantis, was recently diagnosed with breast cancer. The governor has been really vocal about the fact that he and his wife are trusting God through this process. And he's Governor DeSantis has been so supportive of his wife. He's made some really, really lovely comments about her, calling her a very, very strong woman. And he really advocates for the importance of doing breast cancer screenings as women on a regular basis. Gloria, I can attest personally to being someone that doesn't like doctors <laughs> doesn't usually go besides when I absolutely have to. Um, but give us your pitch. Why is it important? You're in October. We're in Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Why is it important to go make us aware? Screenings? Yes. So one, <laughs> Breast Cancer Awareness Month. I think we're all aware of breast cancer. I think everyone knows someone who's been impacted by it or knows someone who knows someone. We're all aware. I think there needs to be more Breast Cancer Action Month. Mm. So when you see the pink ribbon slapped on something, you know, is that a marketing ploy? Where is that money going? Is it going to research? Mm-hmm. You know, y'all, research saved me and saved my life. Like research that came out in 2015 that talked about the fact that these different types of early stage cancers didn't need chemo. Had I had breast cancer in 2015, 2014, totally different story. Mm. Wow. So, you know, like research changes things. So I would encourage those that are listening and anyone participating in Breast Cancer Awareness Month, that you be like really conscious of your purchases and where that money is going, and especially as conservatives, um, where your money is going. Is it going to an organization that is involved in abortions and is involved in um, things that we may not believe in? But um, I've been very supportive of the Breast Cancer Research Foundation because they funded research that literally kept me from having to go through chemo. Praise Jesus. Um, so through this whole process, we found out that I had a gene mutation and that, you know, that put me in the high risk category. And even if you're high risk, I still wouldn't have been, you know, screened for ultrasounds or mammograms, I think, until like 35 or 40. That's mm-hmm. when maybe high risk starts. Um, I just found it myself. So for all the young gals out there, you need to learn how to do a, a breast exam and be doing them regularly. I literally never had done it before and accidentally found mine just you know, sitting in my bed with my arms across my chest, talking to the, my mom on the phone. So feel them because it could change your life. If I had found it two months later, it could have been a totally different story as to where the cancer had spread in my body. And I mm-hmm. credit that. So, you know, that that's a miracle. And the Lord still has me here. So those things are super important. You don't even need to go to the doctor to find what could be there and to make sure you're taking care of your body and exercise and eat well. Yeah. Well, I love the part of your story where you were your own advocate. You were oh like, gosh, I yes. know my body. I know myself. Something's wrong. And and because a, a lot of people don't have the gumption to do that, right? They're mm-hmm. like, oh, the doctors say this. So I, I'm busy. I won't worry about it. But like, help save yourself. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, if that had been me four years ago, I never would have done that. And again, I attribute that to the hand of the Lord. There were things that I went through in college and you know the first few years out of dc where i just was terrified to stand up for myself and speak up for myself and went to counseling we love counseling advocate counseling read the book boundaries it's so great (laughs) such a good book such a great book (laughs) we can have a whole episode talking about boundaries um and learning like what it means to you know speak up for yourself and i just am so grateful that i'm in a position in my life where i felt like i could do that and i was not afraid and it literally saved my life Mm -hmm. gloria thank you so much for sharing we so appreciate that 
Now stay tuned because up next, we discuss two alleged sexual assault cases in a Virginia school district and why it matters to gender identity policies. But first, I want to tell you all about one of my other favorite podcasts. It's called Heritage Explains, and it's hosted by my friends Michelle Cordero and Tim Desher. They break down the big policy debates you are hearing about in the news at a 101 level. Using news clips and music, they tell a story, but they also bring on heritage experts to explain complex policy issues. So go ahead and pull out your phone if you're not driving and subscribe to Heritage Explains so you can be in the know on all of the issues you care about. Welcome back. Parents in Loudoun County, Virginia, which is just outside of Washington, D.C., are demanding that the local superintendent resign. Why? Because it appears that he intentionally covered up two, two alleged sexual assaults. Both assaults were reportedly carried out by a biological male who identifies as bisexual. The Daily Wire broke the story earlier this week. It is tragic and graphic, so you might want to skip ahead listening if you're with children. Uh, I, the first time I heard about it yesterday, I literally, for the rest of the night, just like felt, you know, you feel like gross. It's just, ugh. it's just amazing. Not amazing. It's the opposite of amazing. It's, it's the fact that this could even happen. It's tragic. The first assault took place in the women's bathroom at Stonebridge High School in Loudoun County on May 28th. The young man entered the bathroom and was apparently wearing a skirt. He is reported to have forcibly assaulted a ninth grade girl in the bathroom. The Daily Wire reports that four months later, it appears that the same student assaulted another girl in an empty classroom. Parents are now asking why this student was allowed back into the school district after he allegedly assaulted the first student. They also want to know why they were not informed that there had been an incident of sexual assault within the district. Well, the answers to those questions may lie in a pro-LGBTQ policy that the school has only recently embraced after lots and lots of months of debate that was uh, really spearheaded by a number of parents and even some teachers in Loudoun County. So leading up to the first alleged incident of sexual assault on May 28th, Loudoun County School District was talking about adopting a policy that would allow students to use the restroom and locker room that matched their gender identity instead of their biological gender. The policy would also require teachers to use students' preferred pronouns. After a lot of debate, the school board voted 7-2 to to adopt this policy on August 11th. So in the months leading up to the school board vote on the policy, parents started attending school board meetings to voice concerns. Virginia, you just happened to be at one of those meetings on June 22nd. Can you let us know a little bit about what that was like and what happened there? Yeah, it was a really wild experience. Uh, It was actually the first school board meeting I had ever attended. The room was absolutely packed. It was standing room only. There was people outside. There was 250 individuals who signed up to give public comment. If you've never been to a school board meeting, how they work is it's sort of an open forum. All the school board members kind of sit up in, in one area and they call names. And one at a time, people have you know 60 seconds or whatever the alleged amount of time is to give their remarks. And then they sit back down and it goes to the next person. So both sides were represented during the school board meeting. You had some individuals standing up saying, yes, we need to institute this policy in order to protect students who identify as transgender in order to protect students in the LGBT 
LGBTQ community, then you had a lot more uh, parents and even some students and teachers standing up saying, no, I'm, I'm really concerned about this policy. This is why I'm not for it. And one of the main themes that ran through parents' concerns was the safety of their daughters, was the safety of female students specifically in locker rooms and bathrooms. I spoke to two moms who were standing outside waiting to get in, and they both have special needs daughters. And they said, you know, if Loudoun County chooses to pass this policy, I'm going to request that an adult goes with my child to the bathroom every single time because my kid can't protect themselves if they are assaulted, if there is a biological man that chooses to take advantage of the situation. So really, really tragic just to see so many parents so, so concerned for the safety of their child at school, somewhere where they should be protected. So the meeting starts. Parents are standing up. You can tell there's a lot of tension in the room. This is highly emotional. People have strong opinions. And at one point during the meeting, the Loudoun County School District Superintendent, his name is Scott Ziegler, he stands up and says, the predator transgender student or person simply does not exist. And then he also added that to his knowledge, we don't have any record of assaults occurring in our bathrooms. Okay, so keep in mind, this meeting is June 22nd, almost a month after this first alleged sexual assault case in the bathroom carried out by a biological male against a ninth grade girl. But it was kept secret, it was kept quiet, the public didn't know. So that's why he was able to say this and no one was standing up and questioning, but what about this case a month ago? Because they kept it hidden. Yeah, no, it, it's crazy. And what the parents didn't know, Virginia, like you mentioned, but the superintendent knew that the father of the girl who was assaulted was in the crowd. And that's where things kind of got heated. So can you tell us a little bit about what went down? And then I also want to know, I mean, they're really trying to spin this as the su- the superintendent and the school board felt threatened. Were you ever threatened in the room? And do you ever feel like worried for the safety of the school board? Oh, not at all. No, for first off, the school board was sitting up on um, on a sort of a stage. It was It was raised and there was... Gosh, I don't even know how many cops in the room, but they were ready. They were prepared. If things got got heated or tense, they were prepared to handle that. At no point did I feel at all threatened. But Lauren, like like you said, so this this father, his name is Scott Smith. His daughter is the one who was allegedly sexually assaulted in the bathroom. He hears the superintendent say that there have not been any cases of assaults against women, specifically in, in bathrooms. He even says bathrooms. Obviously, <laughs> this father is sitting there thinking, uh, mm. oh, my goodness. So at, at this point, um, and this, this is from the Daily Wire's reporting, there is a woman who they identify as a left-wing community activist who tells Scott Smith that she doesn't believe his daughter's story. She doesn't believe that she was assaulted. And like any good parent, Scott loses it. He has this really heated exchange with the woman. I'm on the other side of the room Everyone is all of a sudden aware that there's something going on. Chairs are being kind of pushed around. People are on the ground. All of a sudden, you see the cops over there. Um, So in reading through Scott Smith's account, essentially what happened, they exchanged some words, him and this woman. The cops come over, grab his arm. He pulls away, and then 
the cops take him to the ground and and arrest him. So long story short, it's a wild, it's a kind of a chaotic meeting. Ultimately, <laughs> all the board end up uh, standing up, walking out of the room. It's declared an unlawful assembly because people are parents are trying to continue to give public comment and express their concerns, even though the board has decided to walk out. Uh, and so everyone is is ushered eventually out of the room. I walk outside and I see who I now know to be Scott Smith kneeling in the grass on the ground, handcuffed, bloody. Um, and everyone is just like, what happened? And really, we we didn't know. And so I was mm. really surprised when I when I read this Daily Wire piece and I found out this whole backstory of what really, really happened because uh, no one had any idea why this one man was so upset and also uh, ultimately what, what had transpired be- between him and that woman. And sexual assault can mean a lot of things. And one thing I don't think we really clarified here is that this was not like this guy allegedly t- touched this girl's butt in the bathroom. This is for sodomy. Mm-hmm. And the fact that her father only did this, just knowing this, like, it, it enraged, like, I feel it in my muscles. And the fact that he was able to hold it in that much, I mean, violence is never the answer. But if somebody did this to your child, I can't imagine the reaction. Gloria, what do you think? This is what I'm having the hardest time wrapping my mind around. Back when all this started, I would say, you know, back in North Carolina, the bathroom bills, Mm. 2015, Mm -hmm, 2016, Mm -hmm. those who opposed them for this exact reason were called fear mongers, Mm -hmm. bigots. Well, guess what? Exactly what we warned about has happened. And who is the villain? The parent who is trying to fight for his child. You know, granted, there's it's all reporting. This is all coming out. We don't know all of the details. Irregardless, what happened to, we believe women, what Mm. happened to that? What, who... The school's most basic responsibility is to be looking out for the safety mm-hmm. of children, but rather it appears that we're beholden to, you know, broad stroke policies to appease leftist special interest groups. Yeah. And that seems like that's the only reason why this instance was covered up was because they knew, oh, if this leaks out, then there's not going to be support in order to pass this uh, this pro-gender identity legislation that allows biological men who identify as women to enter girls' restrooms. And, it, I mean, it's mind-blowing that they still allow that student to re-enter the school district. And then on October 6th, it, it's believed that it's the same male student who forced a girl into a classroom and sexually assaulted her. And it, like you said, like it, it's really, it's mind-blowing um, and so tragic that something that was so so basic that a school protecting the dignity the safety of women that that was violated when it could have so easily have been protected and it's not hard to say i want to respect the rights of people who are transgender yep. while also protecting women like these are not mutually exclusive things mm-hmm. but the fact that they literally can't see the forest for the trees, right? Like, they, this girl was very graphically harmed, right? Even if, even if it's all alleged, but like, women don't make up lies like this, right? Like, they got a rape kit that night. Like, they did all the right things. Mm-hmm. Her story, even her story seems credible. 
even just the allegation of that in your school as a superintendent should give you the feeling that we have here. The fact that they're able to so nonchalantly kind of just throw it off and then put this on the girl's father and knowing this information, I mean, I just can't imagine how sick that person must be. Mm -hmm. It just speaks to the left sees what the left wants to Mm -hmm. see. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that after I think the initial school board meeting, the father was painted as this, you know, domestic terrorist, white, angry man at school board meeting. And at the time, you know, no one knew. So just the left sees what they want to Mm -hmm. see. Where's the apology? Where's the accountability? I, I sure hope as this develops and we learn more information that accountability comes to light. But I mean, obviously, the school board is not the Biden administration, but by any measure of accountability in today's modern society, we're not seeing accountability for gross negligence and just allowing evil to happen. Yeah. And I'm so glad you brought up the Biden administration because for us in D.C., it's in, in our backyard, Loudoun yep. County. We have friends who live there. But with the news that Merrick Garland wrote that letter based on the guidance from the National Association of School Boards that basically says that parents who get rowdy in these school board meetings can be now considered domestic terrorists. I mean, it's it's insane. We're taking a leftist interest group. In the, I'm not going to say they're as bad as the superintendent because that's disgusting. But they're they're trying to capitalize on this. You know, th- there was a video of this father going getting angry. School boards, have, like you mentioned, Virginia, they were in the front of the room. There were plenty of cops. They were never actually in danger. And they wrote this letter, and the Biden administration parroted it as now making it a, you know, a, a policy. The It's a DOJ letter, right? Mm-hmm. So it was written to the FBI. It requested that the FBI get involved. Okay, so it's a DOJ. It's an official government letter, and it would make someone like this father a domestic terrorist. And they're doing this to try to scare parents into not speaking up their minds because they know that the American people are not on their side when it comes to critical race theory. They know that the American people are not on their side when it comes to this gender ideology. And so they're now, they're literally, they've sunk into this level of the superintendent and now they're using scare tactics to stop parents from having their First Amendment rights. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. See, I love, I I don't know who I've seen talking about this or what organization it has been. It's basically saying parents do not be afraid. And what we hope actually happens here is that you see parents come back, take control, get involved at the local level and, you know, not staying for this anymore. Yeah. I think there's a lot yeah. of tools at disposal at the local level to be able to own, not only one protect children, but also um, respect rights and mm-hmm. treat LGBT community mm-hmm. with like, respect and yeah. dignity. And I think that's the key, Gloria, is we don't have to compromise women's rights in order to love the LGBTQ community. Mm-hmm. We, one is not you know, mutually exclusive to the other. Mm-hmm. We can do both 100%. It's maybe going to take work to look at, mm-hmm. okay, what what's a new model? Are we creating whole new bathrooms for you know, those who identify as transgender? Mm-hmm. What does that look like? But... <laughs> There is no reason why we need to compromise the safety of women in order to do that. Yeah, I would even argue that fighting for the safety of women is pro-LGBT. I mean, I almost don't even like using the acronym because it always changes. And I don't like uh, using the last language. But like, <laughs> yeah, okay. but it is like it is pro-them because every lesbian is a woman, right? Like, well, that's the thing. Yeah. I even begin to question at, at what point does the LGBTQ movement become anti-woman mm-hmm. in so many oh, ways. I think it's they, already there. I mean, yes. They're eating themselves. Yeah. 
they're eating themselves, they're pro-abortion, they're all of these things that are anti-women. And when you really get down to it and you start to see things like this happen, it, the heart and the root of this movement is exposed and it's so sad. Yeah. It's just, it's so sad. It really is. Mm. Well, gender identity policies, they don't just affect <laughs> it never stops. They don't just affect schools. <laughs> it just keeps going. Now, uh now they're coming for toys at big stores. Remember when it was just Obergefell versus Hodges and it was gay marriage and that was it. You yeah, know, that's where it starts. Now. And we also did it's 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 gonna keep coming and here we are. And prop eight. I mean Yeah. Well, I mean and it, it's hard, right? Where where you where do you draw the line? But it is now in everything and this next story about how it even affects what kids can play with. Like, mm-hmm. right. Like it's just hard to where you draw the line. I mean, we've been in such a moral decay in this country for so long and it's just hard of, I think a prop eight in California. Now you compare that now to probably it was a bill back in the early two thousands, mid two thousands about legalizing gay marriage in California. It was the first big kind of vote. Um, but on Saturday, California government, California Governor Gavin Newsom signed a bill requiring large retail stores to have a quote-unquote gender-neutral toy section in their stores. The bill is going to take effect in 2024 and only applied to stores with 500 or more employees. So it will mostly affect companies like Target and Walmart in California. So there's still going to be separate boy and girl sections, but if these large stores don't have a gender-neutral toy section, then they could actually be fined. So what do you all think? I mean, picture this. A California mom with with two kids. She's walking through Target with, let's say, her three-year-old and five-year-old daughter. And they want to know why all of the dolls in this section look so different from the other dolls that they see at the store. What is that mom supposed to say to her kids? I, I mean, it's just crazy. Like, why... They're toys. Mm-hmm. Can we let kids be kids? Yeah. Yes. I just all of this just <laughs> enough said. We can just end it right there. Like kids let be kids. Kids be kids. Yeah. And I was talking in uh, the office today with Marguerite about this, and she made a really interesting point that these giant corporations, the WalMarts, the Targets, etc., you know, they can totally make these shifts. They can, you know, they can work and roll with this. Not going to hurt the bottom line. Not going to hurt them. It's going to hurt small mom and pop shops. The small, you know toy stores that are down you know we've i've got one i live out in virginia in delray it's the cutest little like toy store and, like adorable you walk in and it's just so sweet it's it's those smaller businesses that are going to struggle to because it all trickles down it, yeah. it, 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 it starts it does. with the big ones and then it trickles down and with yep. you know every every regulation it, it's the big guys that are all for it you know right now facebook is saying yeah we want you know section 230 reform we're on board with this like because they can handle it you know besides the point but we're, we're going to see this as one regulatory problem, and not only a regulatory problem, this is an incredible moral, cultural problem. Mm-hmm. Like kids be kids. Yeah. Right there. Well, there's a real issue with the government telling stores how they specifically have to operate. I mean, that's pretty uh, pretty minute to say you actually have to have this specific section in your store. That's very heavy-handed. I mean, regardless of what you think about transgender issues, just from kind of a an issue of, of free markets and letting stores operate how they want to, that's uh, really totalitarian in my mind to have the government telling a store how they have to run their business. Have we seen anything quite like this? Ooh, good question. Not that regulates toys in any sort of like social 
way, right? Like it's you a very weird want- combination of policies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and what I like to think about with this policy is, is there some guy in California or girl who's literally like, okay, Hot Wheels, boy toy. Okay, Barbie's girl toy. Thomas the Train Engine, boy toy. You know whose favorite toy was Thomas? No. Oh. Me. Wow. Aww, I mean, I, I named my trains. first. I literally named my first car Percy. That's so he, cool. he, he wasn't green. He was orange, but Aww, I didn't care. So anyway, so like, I turned out fine. Yeah. <laughs> you go in my office right now. I have a football on my shelf that I like to pull down. Lauren and walks around the office. With I the do. Football. It's great. And but you know, like I, the fact that we have gotten to this point where somebody has to decide which gender each toy is, and that we have to have a boy section and a girl section, like Pokemon. I think when we were growing up, everybody loved Pokemon. But at the end of the day, it's a video game, which is probably more of a boy thing. Would that go in the boy aisle? It's just this. There, it does not make any logical sense from the very top all the way to the very bottom. I think it's let let kids go to the aisle that they want to go to, regardless of if they're a boy or a girl. I was totally the kid that always looked for the pink and just bolted towards it. <laughs> I will admit that was totally me. Uh, but a lot of my friends, I couldn't understand because they, I mean, other girlfriends, they were like, ew, pink. And that they went to the boy toys. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I said, here to dress. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, and, you know, most of them are, are married to awesome men today and, you know, they're great. And so it, it's like to think, okay, it has to be this one or the other and we need this neutral section. It just, it's illogical. The, the whole thing, you know, it just, it, in every step, you just, as you get down closer to the nitty gritty of what's going on, you see the logical fallacies mm. in every piece of this movement of how do we, how do we manipulate children <laughs> into doing what we want them to do? And, and it, it, it feels tantamount. This is a, you know, a, a smaller level than, you know, the bathrooms and the the books with, you know, what, where am I on the spectrum as a child? That's way more aggressive, but this is, you know, at a, a more, you know, lighthearted level. It's still borderlining to me on abusive to children. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So back in, I started the Daily Signal about six years ago, back in 2016, when these bills were, were popular and, and happening and there was a lot of fallout. I mean, we we joked that we were on the bathroom beat, right? Because there were so many stories and I think the left came back at us hard because they're like, why are you obsessed with these bathroom models? I'll just let people use the bathroom wherever they want. doesn't make sense. But because of these past two stories that we talked about, that's why this is important. That's why we have to draw a line in the sand because they will keep doing these little things and making us, I mean, they're gaslighting us, making us feel like they're crazy. And it just keeps getting worse and worse. And we can't give the left another inch. Mm-hmm. Amen. Do not back down. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it is. You give a mouse cookie. Wow. It's, it goes further. Is it a boy girl or a girl, girl book? <laughs> it's in the neutral section. Wow. Yeah. Are cookies for girls? <laughs> Obviously for girls. <laughs> I mean... Boys are great, but like, do they really deserve cookies? No. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Let's leave it with that, uh, with Gloria's statement of let kids be kids. Not boys don't deserve cookies. Boys can have cookies. The best is when the girl's the one that makes the cookies and then all the boys eat them and they don't say thank you. <laughs> oh, <laughs> How many times? This sounds like a specific situation. The girl is like, I still hold that. <laughs> I may have personal animosity. <laughs> wow. You may not. You need to go through some healing there. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about that at counseling next week. <laughs> all right. Well, stay tuned because up next we crown our problematic woman of the week. But unfortunately, we have to let our guest, Gloria, go. Gloria, thank you so much for being here today. Uh, obviously, y'all are the best. Happy Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Thanks, Gloria. It's because of support. 
from listeners like you that we can continue to produce podcasts like Heritage Explains and SCOTUS 101. And you can help us keep it up by going to www.heritage.org slash podcast today to make your tax-deductible gift. Now it is that time once again, my favorite time of the week, time to crown our problematic woman of the week. And the crown goes to... The pro-life TikTok women... It's not a secret here on Problematic Women that I very much do enjoy TikTok. I do not promote it. It is not the most safe. It might have some nefarious Chinese intent behind it, but I can't resist. It is so entertaining. And this weekend, I woke up early on Saturday morning and I was scrolling TikTok like normal. And I saw this one TikTok and it was just the most sweet TikTok about young women who had a baby at 15, 16, and that they even admit they're like abortion would have been the easy way, but they didn't choose that. They chose life. And I clicked on the sound and I watched almost all of them. There's so, there so many. And I just, <laughs> a couple little tears. Aww. I think this is like one of the, the most redeeming things I've ever seen on social media before. It's incredibly bold of these mm. women to be willing to share their personal story with the whole world of choosing life is that is got to be the hardest choice that any young woman is faced with. And to be that bold to say, hey, I actually decided to choose life and this is how it turned out. And yes, it may have been hard, but the journey was really, really beautiful. Yeah. Just so impressed by these young ladies. And we debated because the song technically says that abortion was the easy way out, which we know abortion is not the easy way out. And also, does it glamorize the idea of having a, a child in your teens. But after thinking about that for a while, I mean, I think they're both good points to, mm -hmm. that I've, I've heard from colleagues who've seen the similar TikToks. But in the day, this is life, right? This happened to these women mm -hmm. and they made the right decision and they're showing how grateful they are. So if you're listening and you're 15, 16, 17, um, please don't get pregnant. It's not, not the right thing to do. But, you know, if you ever get in that situation, it just shows how beautiful life is and uh, it, I think it's a great way to relate to Gloria's story of it, even in, in something that could seem so scary and, and so unexpected ended up being the best thing that ever happened to them. It's looking for the gift in the mm. situation. Yes. So I'll, don't worry, guys. I will keep watching TikToks and keep bringing you <laughs> Thanks, more <Lauren>. TikTok stories. And with that, that's going to be it for this week's edition of Problematic Women. Join us next Thursday morning for a brand new edition. And in the meantime, please subscribe and share. Conservatives need your support in the podcast world, and we would greatly appreciate a five-star review on Spotify, CastBox, Apple Podcasts, wherever you do get your podcasts. It really does make a difference. Have a great week, and we'll see you all next Thursday. Problematic Women is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is a product of The Daily Signal, produced by Lauren Evans and Virginia Allen. Special thanks to our editor-in-chief, Katrina Trinko. We produce Problematic Women in remembrance of our dear friend and former co-host, Bree Payton.